0: Hi, I'm Shelley, and I'm Nicole, and you're listening to the baby pro podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nicole hey there Shelly how are you? I'm well, how are you? doing well, thank you. Have you been enjoying the nice weather? I have I live for the nice
1: weather. so all day today and the days we've had it nice windows open outside mm-hmm. as much as possible. How about you?
0: Yep, been enjoying. It. I mean we had that weird winter well I guess it wasn't a storm, but it was definitely snow right and I kind of woke up like WTF. <laughs> it's right. like, why is it snowing in mid April? Right. You know, so I know
1: where you live too, and I know you guys got a lot more snow than I did here. We're only a half mm-hmm. hour apart, but the difference in elevation is significant. Mm-hmm. So you guys had inches of snow when I had nothing but rain. Oh, you only got rain? No, I got snow, but like an inch, and it was gone by that afternoon. Lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I live here and not there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you act like you're three hours away. You're like a 20 minute drive, <laughs> but this is new England. So
1: but it is. And where we live, where you and I live, we're only 30 minutes apart, but the elevation is so significantly different that mm-hmm. you guys just that 30 minutes is a huge difference in weather patterns. Yep. Absolutely. So I'm staying down here in the Valley. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> The yep. warmer weather always gets me like itching to travel, which is really hard because we're still in a pandemic, although yeah. I got vaccinated fully. Yay. And John got his first dose and um the kids are getting their first doses this week. So Great. I'm starting to feel a lot better about it, so we are making plans to travel. Great. Which I'm wicked excited about because <laughs> it's such an important part of our lives. Yeah. That going without it was really hard. And the race yeah. season is starting back up again. So we're gonna do some races.
1: I was thinking about you the other day, by the way. Someone brought up races and I'm like, my French line races all the time. I'm like, God, I wonder if we're gonna it was a, a conversation about that and it made me think of you. Yeah. Are they hoping that we'll see some racing this summer?
0: Yeah, they've already started it up in some races and in some states, but we're we're waiting a little longer. We're not doing the early in the year races because I feel more comfortable if we just do like mid summer to fall when like more people are vaccinated and yeah. things like that. So we're yeah. not, we're not in a rush to run out and do any now. Like I know there are a couple next month and we're not doing any of those, but I know like in August, we have one in October. We have one. So later in the year, we'll be doing you are them. so cool. Well, we yeah. usually do like 25 and I think this year we're just doing like five, right? Because we also like took a year off. So right. none of we have not been training. We have not <laughs> been running. And I'm like, if we tried to do like 25 races, we'd die. Like it right, <laughs> right. would not be good. So right. Exactly. I get it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But we're super excited. Good. And this week we are interviewing Annie Hopkins from Spoiled Yogurt, and she is talking to us about preventing tearing during labor and birth. Oh, that's a good one. Holy Mm -hmm. cow.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. Did you? I have vivid memories (laughs) of pushing.
0: Okay. (laughs) I was going to ask, would you mind sharing if you tore or not? I did. Yeah. I did. You know me.
1: There's no boundaries. We can talk about everything. Mm -hmm. I did tear. So with my first three children, Epidurals were the the. I mean, I'm old, so my oldest is 30, and then the next one's 28, and the next one's 27. So they gave us episiotomies, and I have vivid memories of hearing the cl- the scissors, and it always bothered me. I never felt the episiotomy happen because of crowning. There's so much burning anyway that I could never differentiate feeling for feeling. But with my next one, they weren't doing episiotomies. And I remember saying, <laughs> during pushing, I'm tearing, I'm tearing, I'm tearing. She's like, you're not tearing. Oh, I tore. I tore where you shouldn't tear. Put it that way. Yeah. And I was, it was a very fast, fast, fast birth. And that was probably had everything to do with it. And the next one ended up being a C-section. But
0: how about you? So with Brooke, who was my smallest baby. Mm-hmm. I got an episiotomy and, and to be honest, looking back, I don't think I needed one, but there was either a, a student or, um, I'm totally blanking on what they call it when you're not a resident, resident. resident thank you. <laughs> so he was either a student or a resident and my OB was just basically showing him how to do one. And right. I'm kind of bitter oh. about it because she, and I like her in general.
2: But she didn't
0: even tell me she was doing it. Like she, there was no, like not even verbal consent. She just did it. And I didn't feel it because I was pushing. So I didn't even know that she had done it until afterwards when she's like, oh, I'm going to sit you up now. And I was like, oh, did I tear? And she's like, no, I gave you an episiotomy. And I remember thinking as young as I was and as uninformed as I was at that time, I remember thinking even then, like, that's weird that you didn't say anything to me before you did it. Because it's my body. And I want to uh, know what's being done it. I'm yeah.
1: Intact.
0: Yeah. And then my next two were home births and I gave birth in the water and they were two pounds heavier. They were nine pounds and over. And with, yeah, summer, summer and Hunter were chunkers when they were born. <laughs> Brooke was like long and lean and skinny. And and I with Summer, I didn't tear at all. And then with Hunter, I tore like a tiny, tiny bit where my midwife was like, she calls it more like a skin mark than anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I could leave it and it will heal fine. Or I could put like one stitch in there and you'll be fine too. Like that would be fine too. And I was like, you know what? Just leave it. Yeah. But I remember Mm -hmm. thinking like, and I was in water and I was upright pushing. So that makes a huge difference. But I remember thinking if I could push out nine pound babies without significant tearing, I did not need an episiotomy for a seven pound baby.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Oy, 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 mm. I know. Uh, it's funny. Even talking about it, I literally am finding myself doing Kegels. <laughs> 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 I'm like, ah, my yeah. matcha hurts just thinking
0: about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the ice packs. Remember those days? Mm, yep. All right. Let's talk about yep. our favorite of the week. All righty. Go ahead. Oh, you want oh. me to go first? Yes, you go first. So it's, um lately I've been really into this book series that my coworker got me into. And it's, I think it's actually supposed to be a young adult series, but I'm not sure. It's yep. kind of Games of Thrones-ish. Ah. Um, and it's called The Throne of Glass by Sarah. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but it's M-A-A-S. I think there's like seven books wow. in, the, in the last book. Nice. And the first book, I was like, I I don't like this. I hate the main character. This is so dumb. And then she was like, please keep reading. The second book, I was like, it's getting a little better. I don't find the main character as annoying. And then by the time I was on the third book, it was just really good. And now I'm like, I have to wait till Tuesday to get the next book from you. Uh But I think it's nice. Like It's one of those series where you can really see the author kind of develop as an author. Yep. And progress as an author because I feel like in the first book, I was like, uh, eh. But then like she gets better at writing. Her characters start to develop a lot and it just gets better as the series goes through. Yeah. But
1: it's nice. Really one. Yeah. Good. I Finding something that's good to read or watch these days is like hard to do. And if you find yeah. something, it's so nice. I know. And good finding the time too. I know.
0: You know, I have like one of, I have an iPhone and it tells, it gives me like a weekly report. Like this is how many hours on average you're spending a day on your phone. Yeah, me and too. And usually if I'm eating like lunch, if I'm meeting with the family, I'm not on my phone. But if I'm eating lunch, I'm just like on my phone scrolling through TikTok. And I started to see those like numbers climb. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna read a book while I eat. And that that's the only time really I have to read. Yeah, yeah. I know you
1: well enough to know that if you don't have time to read, you really have no time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, oh my gosh! I saw this tweet from the psychologist that said, um, if you were a voracious reader when you were a kid and now you scroll through your phone constantly, all, you're, all you've done is found a more efficient way to disassociate. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. no. Oh
1: no. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's too funny. I am slacking in reading because of my phone and social media. So that's been on my mind for several months now. And every week I like challenge myself to spend less time on social media. I'm wicked. Sorry. Sorry.
0: It's okay.
1: And it's, it's definitely helping um, to be able to like pay attention to the, how much time I'm spending online and Hmm. not spending doing other things that are important
0: or reading. Yeah. Well, you're coming up on your annual summer reading of, to, to Kill, kill a, a walking walking bird. bird. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can't believe
1: you just, re- I love you that you just remembered that. I love you anyway. But the fact that you remember that makes me love you more than anyone in the world because you're the only person who ever fucking remembers it. Sorry. <laughs> I don't <know> if you <laughs> to delete that or whatever, but I love you. Yeah. Yes. My favorite book of all time. And Gracie just read it and loved it. I'm like, yay. Isn't it great? I'm ready to pull it out. Yep. I usually start in May. I mean, it takes me three days to read, but
2: mm-hmm. I've That's read it
1: book. every year, I think for 20 years.
0: Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite of the week all
1: right mine is the fact that i have decided to take my aging fucking skin into my own hands and i went and saw um a plastic surgeon and esthetician at an office and got a little bit of work done around my eyes mm-hmm. so not botox but dysport don't ask me the difference i don't know but she suggested dysport and I could tell within 24 hours that my lines under my eyes looked so much better. Nice. So, and I'm using an eye serum now, which is like a miracle worker for me. So I Mm. have aged a ton since COVID, like literally looking in the mirror and I would say monthly, I'm seeing a decline in my skin and I'm like, Oh my gosh. So it was time because I'm 48 and I was looking, I'm not 48, I'm 47, I'll be 48 this year. And I'm like, I'm looking 10 years older. So, and I have no issue aging gracefully, except that it was becoming a lot around my eyes, like droopy eyelid. And I'm like,
0: I need a little bit of work around Mm. my eyes. So here I go. That's my favorite of the week. Yeah. And I think there's a huge difference between getting any sort of work done, whether it's like Botox or breast augmentation or whatever, because- you feel like you need to do that to look good for society. Right. And between that and you just want to do it to f- help you. yourself feel better. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All
1: okay. right.
0: So let's move on to our question of the week. All righty. So this week's question is, do you have any tips for preventing sibling rivalry? I can't talk sibling rivalry. (laughs) My kids are 18 months apart. All right. I'll let you take this one.
1: All right. So I have five children that are all grown, except for my youngest, who will be 16 in two days. Um, and sibling rivalry can be really difficult for parents. And I remember feeling worried that it was going to become a problem having so many kids. So I guess it depends on the situation. When I was bringing a new baby into the mix, which was constant, um, you always are worried about the next one up feeling um, pushed aside and sibling rivalry can become a thing. And when I was in that situation, what I did was I I worked really hard at making the um, the toddler or the older child, I gave them responsibility and I made them kind of part of the of the teamwork. Um, and when they felt like, oh, you're helping Mama," they felt much better about it. And as the kids grew for sibling rivalry, one of the, a few things, a couple things I did was, um, the most important thing I did, I found, was spending one-on-one time with my kids mm-hmm. um, and making sure that everybody was able to get what they needed And when I needed to be tied up with one, if they were sick or nursing or whatever, I was very conscious to make it a special moment with other kids. So we would, that's when we would play, say, memory. I would sit on the floor to nurse a little one or to be with a little one while I'm taking care of the older one that might be having an issue with what I was doing with the younger one. Or um, I did, or like in my... I remember having babies and always having like a station in my living room of like diapers and wipes and stuff. And I would have like special snacks and special books and special toys that they got during the time I needed to sit with a younger one. So they didn't feel as jealous because it was also like my time with them to give them something new and special and unique that they couldn't use or have otherwise.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And, you know, teaching them to work together and, You know, if it was like a game, just saying I had a two and four year old, you won for the two year olds, you won for the four year olds. Like I found ways to make it everybody. And it seemed that those things helped depending on the situation, being careful not to single out what I was doing with one kid by including in any way I could other kids helped to
0: deflect that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are all great tips. And I did the same thing. I had a nursing basket because my kids uh yeah broke and summer were two years apart almost exactly yeah so when summer was born I had like a nursing basket where she got to pick out some toys and she could only play with them while I was nursing her sister. And right. so eventually she started bringing me like the breastfeeding pillow <laughs> like mommy yeah. don't you want to nurse summer now so that she right. have like all these toys I want to play with. Um, I also yeah. thought it was really important, especially as the kids got older, like if they had a squabble or a fight, I would do my best to let them figure it out. Like, um, I, unless they were hitting each other, which my kids really, they weren't hitters, but if they were like, you know, she did this or she took this, I would say, okay, you guys, what's a good compromise that you can come up with where you're both kind of satisfied right now. And And that teaches them them like life skills too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one-on-one time is important. And my, you know, we have seven kids, so we're not throwing birthday parties because I mean, we stopped that a long time ago. It's too expensive with all the kids that we have, but every birthday they get like their own special day where it's just me and the kid and we go out and kind of do whatever they want. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And then sometimes even it's just like, I have to go to Walgreens and you pick a kid to go with you and if they want to go that's like it's like a 15 minute trip but it's still like 15 minutes of just talking to them with nobody else around to interrupt
1: yep me too yeah those are all things i've done too yep love it
0: that was a good question yeah okay and up next we have our interview um on how to prevent tearing excellent can't wait to hear from her Hey everyone, I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So, when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solace webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage, and pelvic floor health. This week, I'm so excited to announce our guest, Annie Hopkins from Full Bloom Wellness. Annie is a physical therapist specializing in pregnancy and postpartum care, a yoga instructor, and a doula. Welcome, Annie. Hi, Shelly. Thanks for having me. Sure. You want
2: to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I've been a PT for quite some time, but have recently focused more into the pelvic PT world over the past couple of years because I kept seeing the gap in maternal health care, especially with, you know, that that postpartum health and wellness, you know, you see your doctor every month, every week, you know, as you go through your pregnancy and then postpartum six weeks, you're quote all clear. And then call me if you need me, see you in a year, like you, and you're just kind of left, you know, I see more and more birthing people was left kind of with their heads spinning, like, what the hell just happened? And am I okay? Am I clear to do this? So, you know, I really am passionate about empowering people to feel good in their body, feel good in their lives. And when I saw the, this huge gap in the way that people are being treated, especially in America, I was like, we got to be the change here. So that's Mm -hmm. how I got into this. Right. And you're absolutely right. Like,
0: it's kind of like, okay, your baby's here, go home. Good luck.
2: You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's and, sad. you know, the focus is so much on the baby. And that, of course, like it's a dependent little being, a newborn bundle of joy. But team, I always say team baby is so stacked with providers and people looking after the baby. Who's looking after the mom? You know, team mom is kind of like off to the side, like, oh, you're fine. You're alive and your baby's alive. Therefore, you should be joyful and thankful. And that's just not the experience that I hear from so many people. And I think it needs to change.
0: Right. 100 percent. Were you a doula and a yoga instructor before you became a PT or what order did you do all that in? So
2: I graduated from PT school in 2006 and I got my yoga certification in 2010. Oh, 2000, maybe like 12-ish. I got my prenatal yoga certification. And then just last year, maybe 2019, the days all blend together. I got my Ayurvedic postpartum doula certification. So that was the order.
0: Nice. So you can offer so much support to families in like multiple ways.
2: Yeah, it's really, you know, all of the approaches that I take are holistic. You know, it's not just even with pelvic floor and even with physical therapy, when I was doing, you know, the standard the orthopedic care or something, I've never really looked at just the shoulder or just the pelvic floor. You know, we don't work in these isolated columns so you know it's really a holistic approach and that's what I love about yoga it brings in that mindfulness piece and the breathing piece breathing is so important to our nervous systems and how we feel throughout the day and how we're able to manage our stress and then the the postpartum doula care you know again it's that holistic how can I help you how can I serve you and the Ayurvedic lens was really interesting to me too because they go into a lot of nourishment and again these holistic practices looking at food and meditation and yoga so it really all just kind of works well together and for me and the the clients that I see
0: yeah and I used to think that whenever I heard like holistic care or functional medicine kind of type of care it was like oh that's a little like um hippy-dippy kind of thinking but I haven't been helped by that type of care so much more than the traditional type of care that we have in this country. And that is one of the reasons that encouraged me to become a doula and childbirth educator and IBCLC. And it can be a little frustrating, especially working in the childbirth period Well, you do see the ball is dropped so many times for these parents, and they are kind of like left on their own and connections aren't made. And they're being told that things are normal when they're not really normal. And they're being told, you know, this is just the way it is you have to suffer when that's not true. And it it is something that we talk a lot about on this podcast is that Like you said, they show up for their OB appointment and maybe the OB is in there for like 15 minutes and then they're sent home. Where you know it should be standard that they are connected with a nutritionist, lactation consultant, a doula, a pelvic floor specialist, everything that they need for their pregnancy and postpartum recovery. It just doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, and in the you know my mission is to get the relationship between OBs and midwives and pelvic physical therapists as tight as it is between orthopedic surgeons and orthopedic physical therapists. You wouldn't have shoulder surgery or knee surgery and not see a PT, that's like unheard of, right? So it's kind of, that's what I want to see. That's the approach I want to see taken in the childbirth realm as well, because birth is a huge musculoskeletal event your posture changes your muscles change your pelvic floor changes your pelvic bones change and all of these things and that's what physical therapists are experts in you know we're experts in recovery rehabilitation after drastic injuries not that birth is always an injury but it's a big shift in our body you know even if it goes beautifully and smoothly it's still a big shift and i firmly believe that i firmly believe a lot of things but two of them are one <laughs> Every postpartum person should see at least one visit with a pelvic floor physical therapist. And two, postpartum is one year, not six weeks. I always say six weeks is just that first indication of healing. It is not the all clear. You are not ready to go back full throttle to life at six weeks. And because we don't always explicitly say what the all clear air quotes means, It's just left open to interpretation, you know, so it's really and then it leaves it upon the birthing person to figure that out for themselves. And it's just not fair because, oh, my God, you're only six weeks postpartum. Hormones are raging. Your body is like, you know, in this middle of this huge transition. You're not sleeping. There's a newborn. Like everything is so different. And then you have to figure out how to care for yourself in this new body by yourself. And no wonder moms are failing. No wonder America's maternal morbidity and mortality rate is the highest of any developed nation. Like, no wonder it's like, hello, duh. Right. And all of these things seem so clear and yet nothing changes. That infuriates me, but I'm trying to change it.
0: Yeah. 100%. And you are too. Yes. It's beautiful. Yes. And if you take, you know, I wish that every OB Would if ask the parent, are you planning on breastfeeding? And if they say, yes, here's an IBCLC that you can connect with, because there's so many more things that I can do for a family. If I'm connecting with them before the baby is here, than after, and there's a lot I can do for a family who calls me after, but sometimes it's nice when when someone calls me beforehand and it's like, okay, you have certain things in your medical history that might impact your milk supply. Let's talk about that. Let's have that discussion. Let's come up with a plan for that. Instead of, you know, getting a call at three weeks along because their baby's not getting weight and they have no milk. And it's just insane to me that this isn't a standard in this country. Right. And like you said, what is a parent going to do when they're left to their own? They're going to ask Dr. Google, right? <laughs> Which may or may not give them a good answer, or they're going to ask other moms. And if you are a mom who's recovering and you're not sure, is this normal? Or when can I actually start having sex? Or when can I actually start working out? You're probably going to ask other moms, right? Which is great that the community is there, but every recovery is so different. And so the right answer for one parent may not be the right answer for you.
2: Yeah, or the answer might just be incorrect in general. I know people who have come in to me shocked that I can cure their urinary incontinence because literally every woman that they know who has a child, leaks pee when they cough or sneeze or run you know and so they do that you're just like you said they they check in hey is this normal and everyone goes yeah welcome to the club honey and that's just wrong it's just incorrect and it's just be it's because we've been misinformed and actually misinformed through lack of education but also just straight up misinformed well you had a baby X, Y, and Z. Nope, you had a baby. Your back's going to hurt forever now. You're going to pee your pants. Well, sex is going to be uncomfortable. Just have a glass of wine and try to relax. It is 2021, people. We have to start doing better. My God, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's the common but not normal. You know, yes, lots of people have incontinence and there's nothing wrong with you. You didn't do anything wrong if you're leaking pee after you had a baby, but that's not normal physiological function. Your body can recover from that. It is common to have painless sex, but again, it is not normal function. Your body should be able to recover from that. All of these things. It's common to have diastasis recti, the separation of the abdominals, but it's not normal. Your body can recover from that. You know, constipation and prolapse. All of these things, common but not normal. And if you do ask, number one, good job speaking up about something that is you know, culturally very hush, hush, and kind of shameful, like, oh, we're talking about pee, poop, and sex, like, oh, my God. So number one, good job speaking up and advocating for yourself. And number two, don't settle for a crappy answer of, well, you had a baby, it's okay, because it's not, you deserve better, and we can do better. There's a whole profession out there, pelvic PT, ready and waiting to help you live your best life.
0: Yep. Yep. And I say that all the time. Common is not normal. Common is not normal. You're being told it's normal for your baby to not poop every day. No, it's common, not normal. Baby should be pooping every day. Or the the one that really is like a huge view of mine, when parents are told it's supposed to hurt or it's normal for breastfeeding to hurt. I'm like, no, it is not normal for breastfeeding to hurt. How would we have survived as a species if it hurt us to feed our young? It is common. It is not normal. It should not hurt. And yes, like you said, like, is it common to have incontinence after a baby? Yes. Is it normal? No. And there's no line in between those two things in our culture anymore. Even medical professionals are like, no, that's normal. That's normal. Mm
2: -hmm. I think some of it is people just trying to be kind and people not wanting the mom, you know, to feel bad about herself. Like she did something wrong, you know, like, oh, it's okay, honey, you had a baby. And like, wow, that's, true, we should also, especially in the healthcare world, be saying, that's okay. It's common, but we can do better for you. And here's the resources to help you heal. Because I feel like, you know, no one wants anyone to feel bad. Like, oh, that's okay. Well, thank you. But it's not okay. And we can help.
0: Yes. And I also sometimes wonder how much of it is that in some areas of medical care, have providers lost sight of what normal is? As an example and there, and I'm not trying to like knock OBGYNs or bash them, or whatever, but in reality, how many OBGYNs go through medical school and go through training, seeing a normal birth, like a, an, an unmedicated, birthing in a squat, like birth, probably not, right? There are probably many, many, many who have never seen even an unmedicated birth.
2: I think the majority. Yes. Yeah.
0: So if you don't know what normal looks like, then abnormal becomes normal to you.
2: Yeah. And that, I mean, we could go into the whole kind of medical complex, basically birth has become medicalized. And like you said, you know, we have been birthing on this planet without hospitals, physicians, and, you know, all of that for hundreds and hundreds of years. And really only in the last 100 years has birth been taken over by the, well, a hundred and like early 1900s, I think is when that shift happened. And again, you know, I bash, you know, the way things are going a lot, but I really always make it clear that it's the system. There's so many good doctors. There's so many good nurses, OBGYNs. There's so many beautiful, wonderful, helpful people out there. Our system, our medical system as a whole is not wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's really where I take issue is, is with the, the system that allows parents to slip through the cracks, to be on their own for a variety of reasons, you know, providers don't have time to spend with patients, providers don't get and the education like you're bringing up, if you haven't seen an unmedicated home birth, then you won't like it. We're not comfortable with what we don't know. So if you don't know about something, then, you know, it's I mean the amount of times that people have had to, you know, oh, I asked my OBGYN if I should go to pelvic PT and they said no. And I'm right. like, "Well, why? Why did they say no? Why are they against adding someone to your care team who can help address the concern that you're having painful sex back pain whatever like why did they just flat out say no and the person obviously had enough self-advocacy to like show up in my office anyway but it's just like it's shocking to me and it goes back I think to that like if you don't know about it then you're not in favor of it right exactly
0: so So, yeah and I completely agree and I think If you are a new parent, you're not sure what to expect either, which makes it even harder. And I do get a lot of new parents who ask a lot of questions and have a lot of concerns specifically around tearing during birth. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering what your thoughts are on that, if we could talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So tearing is the natural process of whenever the skin and sometimes muscle of the perineum. So the perineum is the area between the vaginal opening and the anus. It's that little area of skin there. And it is, you know, what used to happen. It still does in some places, but whatever. Um, are episiotomies where they would just cut through the skin and the tissue there to make the vaginal opening wider so that the baby could pass through. So sometimes people tear naturally and there's a lot of factors that go into that. The way that the labor is progressing, the pushing, you know, there's a lot of different things that can happen in the moment. And I hear a lot about tearing too because it's scary and, you know, it does happen and there's four degrees of tearing. Okay. So a grade one is just through the skin. It would be like if you, you know, cut your hand or something, it's just through that superficial layer of the skin. Grade two is if it goes a little bit more deeper than that, if it's, you know, the skin plus the muscles in the perineum. Grade three goes a little bit deeper and a little bit farther than that. So that would be the skin, the muscles of the perineum, and then that goes into the external anal sphincter. So with a grade Three, you know, I really want everyone to start asking, you know, what grade was my tear? If you do tear during birth, you want to know the grade one, two, three, or four. So a four is the skin, the muscle of the perineum, the external anal sphincter, and into that internal anal sphincter as well. So that really tears into the rectum a little bit. And, you know, when I ask people, did you tear? They say a little bit. And I say, oh, well, what grade did you have? And I either get, I don't know or just a few stitches or a whole lot of stitches. And that doesn't really tell us anything because when we get into grade threes and fours, we're looking at bowel function changes, right? So it's mortifying to leak pee after a baby, but that one is like common. Oh my God, what if you leak poop? What if you can't hold your poop in after you had a baby? Like talk about the shame and isolation And uh, like opportunity for social withdrawal because you're afraid of pooping your pants, right? But whenever you have a grade three or a grade four, you have the musculature that helps you hold in poop or hold in gas, it's damaged, right? So you you just need to know about it because we can fix it. It heals. Our body heals. We are miraculous adaptive beings. So those are the four different grades. And I really encourage everyone to not just allow the answer of us just a stitch or just two stitches or a lot of stitches or don't worry about it because I still think there's a a culture in the medical world and society in general that, you know, women are delicate women, you know, don't scare them. Don't it's okay, honey. It's not that bad. Oh my God. It's so bad. Right. Whenever women know what they're dealing with, are we allowed to swear? What was that? Are we allowed to swear? Yes. They fucking deal with it. Yes. When a woman knows what she's dealing with, she will fucking deal with it. Okay. So Is it great news to hear that you tore? No. Can you handle it? Yes, you can. When you know about it, education is so key. Knowledge literally is power. So that is, and you definitely should get a physical therapy referral after tearing. If it hurts, if it bothers you, if there's scar tissue, or again, if just because you're postpartum, I think you should see a pelvic PT. So I'm way biased there. So it's, and I guess we'll go into the pain of that a little bit too. So if you do tear, how does it affect you? One, it depends on the degree of the tear. So sometimes the grade one and the grade two, just a little skin tear or skin and a little bit of muscle, it doesn't impact fun- function too much. It may not impact function too much because it might also, because there's that lovely human variable that nobody can control for. Every body is going to respond in a different way. So take all of these with like a grain of salt. So it's the skin and the muscle. You could have pain and scarring there, or it could heal up fine and and never be noticed again. It really depends. Um, Grade three and four, like I said, can impact bowel function. Can, not always, but also they can heal up beautifully with minimal impact on bowel function as well. And I find that the difference is multifactorial. One, we have genetics, like everybody's tissues are different. So there's genetic factors in healing. Um, There's lifestyle factors in healing. How can you slow down? Can you slow down? We're in a fast paced culture. And I see a lot of folks struggling to slow it down, especially in the postpartum period, either because of, quote, choice to stay active and like, go, go, go all the time, or by necessity. If you don't have childcare, if you don't have good support, if you have to get back to work, you have to go, right? So we need to rest you know, a good amount of rest in our lives to heal comfortably. So if you are back up and running and don't have time to take care of the stitches, like maybe it doesn't heal as well. I don't know. Again, a billion little factors and it's something you don't have to figure out on your own. There are guides out there called pelvic PTs and hopefully other members of your care team as well. Um, I,
0: find, I always find going back to what you said about asking and not settling for like, oh, don't worry, I find it I don't want to say triggering but kind of it is kind of triggering for me when a provider tells me oh don't worry about it don't worry especially if it's a male provider no you know no offense mm-hmm. to to males out there but it's so incredibly dismissive to just tell a patient oh don't worry about it it's almost yeah. like if a therapist would say to you well why don't you just try not being stressed do you know what I mean like yeah. you can tell me i'm not going to worry about it but not to worry about it but i am worried about it and why don't you just answer the question Right. And I do think like, you're right. Cause I usually ask, you know, just how, when I'm working with families, like, how are you feeling? How's your bleeding? And then a lot of times I will ask if they have any tearing or stitches just to work on There's certain breastfeeding positions that might be uncomfortable for these parents. If they do have significant tearing or stitches and you're right. They usually are just like, oh, you know, I just got like a few stitches. And even myself with my first, I had an episiotomy with my second. I did not. And I had water bursts at home with my second and my third. And my second, I didn't tear it all. My third, he came out really fast and he was over nine pounds. So my midwife, I'm sure she told me the degree, but I was so out of it. And she ended up just saying it's, I would think of it as like a skid mark. And we don't even have to stitch it. If you don't want to, it will probably heal like on its own. And I was like, then don't stitch it. It's fine.
2: Yeah, exactly. There's such varying degrees. And I love that your midwife like informed you and gave you an informed choice. Do you want stitches? this doesn't require it. And yeah, you mentioned two other factors too, you know, how big is your baby, how long were you pushing. So there's a lot of things that are out there, you know. And maybe you and your listeners have heard of perineal massage, mm-hmm. and there's kind of mixed evidence, but for me, I always look at evidence kind of with a, a grain of salt because who's studying these things? You know, mm-hmm. we're we're now just like kind of giving women back their power in the birthing world. I think that's a pretty optimistic statement, but anyway, no one's really kind of studying these things. So what is perineal massage? It is a technique that you can do or your partner can do to help stretch the muscles, stretch the vaginal opening so that it makes the passage of the baby through the vaginal opening a little bit easier. Doctors will sometimes do that uh, or OBs will do that during labor. Like if they see, oh my God, we need to make some more space. They will lube up and stretch that pelvic floor, honey. But pre, before the birth, you can prepare yourself using perineal massage. And that's simply taking one or two fingers or more and just stretching down. So if you imagine you're lying on your back and your pubic bone, the front of your pelvis is facing the ceiling and your tailbone is down. The pubic bone towards the ceiling is 12 o'clock. The tailbone is six o'clock. You would want to, you know, kind of sweep down in like a U shape between three o'clock and nine o'clock. And, and stretch, right? So you're doing like a, a U-shaped stroke. You can pull down and out, one finger, two finger. And I think there's less of physiological change in the muscles there. Like just like if you stretch your calf, it doesn't like get longer. It goes back to its normal resting length, but it's a little less painful maybe whenever you're hiking up a mountain and you really need all of that calf flexibility. So same thing for the, the perineum. It doesn't really Change muscle length too much. But what it does do is it starts to let you explore some coping mechanisms, right? So if you are doing a really intense stretch, what happens? Whenever there's pain, we usually clench and guard, right? And clenching your pelvic floor is the opposite of what needs to happen when you are birthing your baby. So by practicing this perineal massage, you can get used to, like, oh my God, that is a really big stretch. It kind of stings a little bit. It hurts. Oh my God then you go, okay, nope, okay, I'm going to breathe. How can I breathe? How can I soften into it? And that's really the beneficial piece that I find with perineal massage is developing coping strategies, right? And if you're doing this with your partner, you get to develop those coping strategies together, which is super helpful in the labor and delivery aspect of the birth. So can it help? I think the studies have shown that perineal massage during labor by an OBGYN does help reduce the tearing. Okay. So if the OBGYN is looking like, oh, we need more space and they stretch out and create more space, that I think is has a positive correlation with less tearing in labor and delivery. The preparation stuff that I kind of just described, I don't think there's any correlation because I don't think anyone's looked at it. And if they have, I don't think there's been enough agreement in the data you know was this protocol of technique followed across the board so it's kind of like comparing apples and oranges with some studies so Mm -hmm. it's mixed but I say go for it because you get to learn your boundaries explore your body and connect with your partner and I think those are all great things
0: yeah I was gonna say that another benefit would be that you kind of get to know your body more where we kind of live in a society where until recently like Vagina was a was a bad word, in yeah, the vagina monologues. Ooh. Yes, exactly. And I'm sure most of us are not taking mirrors and looking at ourselves and getting to know our body that way. But this would kind of introduce that to you and get you more comfortable with your body and how it feels and what your normal quote unquote feels like, your baseline.
2: Exactly. And vulva. is So a little side anatomy there. Vulva is the outside the part that we see on the outside of the body, that's what is called the vulva. The vagina is actually the inner canal. Someone made a great analogy once, like the vulva is like your face and your vagina is like your throat. So you see the outside is the vulva, what you don't see in the inside is the vagina. And then also with that face analogy, everyone's face is different, right? So maybe the anatomy that you've seen on porn or like in the locker room at the gym or something like that and you're like do I look like that I don't even know everyone like vulvas are like faces there's so many different things like there's different arrangements different sizes different colors like and it's all it's a beautiful spectrum of normal it's not just one we're not all built like Barbie in any case like in any way shape or form but there's not this uniformity in vulvas and vaginas and so like you said you know we aren't taking mirrors to explore our own anatomy I really encourage everyone to do that because that's the other part of it like if you've never looked at your vulva or your vagina before and then the first time you look is postpartum you're like oh my god is this normal it'd be like looking at someone's face and being like is their nose broken or is it always like that we just don't know you don't know if you don't know you know the pre and post stuff so I encourage everyone to take a look because again knowledge is power and I do understand, respect that there's a lot of cultural shame and fear and stigma around this area of the body. And I just encourage everyone to do their little part in liberating themselves from that in just one tiny little way, which would be just taking a look, exploring your own anatomy, getting comfortable with it. Because that's the other Mm -hmm. big shift that I see is, you know, our pelvises are kept in the dark and it's shameful and it's dirty and it's wrong. And then all of a sudden you're pregnant everyone's all up in your pelvis. You have a baby. Oh my God, everyone is up in your pelvis. A whole and of people. Like, yeah. And then postpartum, they're like, so how's your vagina? It's good. Go ahead. Have sex. You're fine. Live life. And you're like, what just happened? I don't understand. So there's really, it's a very complex, Layered thing, and again, back to like the Ayurveda and the yoga and all that stuff. And that's really why I love those approaches because they are so holistic and a little bit woo woo. But everyone has feelings, man. We just gotta, you know. Mm-hmm. And they they come into play a lot in pelvic floor therapy. Yeah. That's why I love it.
0: Yep, and I definitely lean a little bit more on the hippie side. But there are some things that I even was never encouraged to do growing up, or were never told about, like the whole looking at yourself in a mirror. I didn't even attempt that until after my second. And it kind of horrified me (laughs) because like you said, you have no idea what a normal picture looks like. And I was looking there after, you know, two kids um, and I have big babies. So I was like, oh my gosh, what what is this? (laughs) And I kind of wish someone had said, you know, look at it before your baby comes. so You can kind of see, you know, the before and after now as like a science geek, I'm like, oh, that is so cool. Like I would, mm-hmm. and I'm the type of person that will totally examine, want to examine my own placenta and be like, oh, that's so cool. This is where the baby was and, and things like that. But yeah. But even during my first birth, they brought, I remember it was very short and I was very young. It was a short labor and I was very young, but they did like lug this mirror down the hallway. Cause they were like, Oh, would you like to see when you push? And I was like, I guess. And they lugged this mirror down and I took one look when she was crowning and I was like, yeah, you need to take that away <laughs> because I'm like, I can't, I can't focus if I'm looking at that right <laughs> in front of me, but it was nice that they offered. I appreciated. And I think a lot of parents do enjoy watching their baby being born in the mirror. Of course, it would be nice if we were quote unquote allowed to give birth and positions in the hospitals where we could actually see and feel what was going on, which happened more in my second, in my home birth, and my hospital birth. But yeah, it's interesting because to have all those feelings and all that, those biases coming from your background show up when you're like instructed, here's your vagina, take a look at it. And you're like, okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah, totally. And the one thing that the internet and Dr. Google is good for nowadays is you can see more anatomy. There's a whole like art, exhibition you know all these different vulvas and all this stuff and fourth trimester bodies project that's an instagram account and probably a web page as well but she photographs people postpartum all different body shapes all different sizes all different you know methods of birth and so really normal is a spectrum in so many ways and i think we're so attuned to choosing one way as the best way and then developing a hierarchy of even with birth, right? Home, unmedicated, vaginal birth, natural birth, you know, is held to the highest standard and, oh, you had to have a C-section. How did you fail yourself? Like just those mild shifts in language, whereas, you know, maybe they needed a C-section or else everyone would be dead, right? Like, isn't that the bravest thing to have done? It's on a spectrum. And I really think we should work towards acceptance those of the whole spectrum of normal in body shape, appearance of our reproductive organs, and the way that we birth, because we are a diverse species. And that's good, I think.
0: And I totally agree with like living in an age where you can go on social media and find those pictures and those images. There was an, like a graphic on, a, I forget which Instagram account, but she was talking about perineal massage and she had pictures kind of showing what it looks like. And I also remember, cause this was really fascinating to me and this was like almost 10 years ago. So this was before Instagram, but this is when blogs were really big and there was a woman and I think she was a midwife and she was taking pictures of her cervix through every day of her cycle. And she would do like her own, she would actually show what her discharge looks like and her mucus looked like and talk about how it relates to ovulation. Like if you're seeing this, you're probably ovulating. And I just remember being so fascinating and checking that blog every day, because before I found her blog, I had no idea what a cervix looked like. I had never seen it. And here she was just putting her cervix out there and like having her hand full of the, the discharge and saying, oh, see how it's stringy and mucousy. This is what this means. And I was like, this is amazing. There was another account too. And I think this is when, in no, I don't think it was on Instagram. I think it was another blog. And this was kind of silly, but she took her readers on her journey of like getting her Brazilian and watching the hair grow back. And it was just fascinating because she would put up pictures and say like day 31 or, you know, it was like day three. Things are getting itchy day four. And she would put like googly eyes on it to make it silly and stuff like that. But I was like, this is what we need more of.
2: Yes, because we're all craving knowledge, right? This has been this deep, dark, shameful place. And we just want to know about it, you know, and to know if we're normal, to know if we're okay, to know if we're accepted. And I think that is amazing. That blog with the tracking of the ovulation and the cervical mucus. Because so I'm 38. What I've been a pelvic PT for. So when I was 35 was the first time I looked at my own vulva and vagina with the mirror. And I was 37 when I, maybe six or seven, whatever. I was not a young woman. Um, when I started tracking my cycle and ovulation and cervical mucus and discharge and all that stuff, I didn't even know that was a thing, you know? And if you look back to sex ed as a kid, it's like, here's how to use a tampon, don't get pregnant, you know, like I'm kind of sex ed is that. It's <laughs> just <laughs> it's shameful, you right. know?
0: Yeah, we're not taught how to track anything. And sex ed, even if you have a comprehensive, like, as I thought I had a pretty comprehensive and open was not abstinence only or anything like that, but there was no discussion. It was all like how birth control and STDs and stuff, but it wasn't about, here's how you track your cycle. And to this day, I'm not great at it. I actually have a coworker that always has her period like the week before mine. So she just tells me. By the way, you're probably getting your period next week. And I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks. And then my daughter, because I've got three daughters and they are pretty like ABC right after each other. And I can hear them all the time. Like, oh, you got your period. That means mine's coming too. So I guess we do track in a way, but not in like the traditional way.
2: Yeah, I know. It was so fascinating to me. Now it's on my watch. I have a Garmin watch. And one of the things you can add to it is cycle tracking. So as I'm like flipping through, like, what's the heart rate, you know, blah, 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 blah. They're like cycle day 14 or whatever. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, good to know. It is because it's good to know about your body. Hard stuff. It's good to know about your body. And the amount of information that is left out of our education is just absurd. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm a PT. You would think I would know the anatomy of the pelvis. I did not. I was not taught pelvic floor anatomy in college. It was glazed over. The pelvis was the place where the glutes attached and your femur and your hip joint. Like, that's the the pelvis. We basically learned like the external pelvis, the internal pelvis, and the pelvic floor was just a non PT area. You know, I've been a PT for 15 years. Pelvic floor PT has like skyrocketed. Still a long way to go, but at least now they're teaching it in schools, which is Mm -hmm. great. And I really hope that push for knowledge takes pelvic PT out of now an elective kind of thing in a lot of pelvic or a lot of PT schools and into the mainstream because there are studies that have shown time and time again that women with low back pain, 91 to 95% of them also had pelvic floor dysfunction. It's out there because we're not talking about it, we're not treating it. And I just think back to all of my years before I was a pelvic PT and I was like, man, how many chronic back pain, chronic hip pain patients? Did I miss? Did I not serve fully because I didn't understand the function of the pelvic floor? Probably a lot to those people. I apologize, but I'm doing better now. (laughs) When we know better, we do better. Right. Right. right.
0: What are some other ways that you can prevent? Like, are there certain positions during labor and delivery that have been shown to reduce tearing?
2: I think sideline has been like shown in the research to reduce tearing. And then squats are kind of that like hands and knees or like kneeling and leaning on the bed or kneeling and leaning on the side of the tub have been shown to reduce tearing as well. Laying flat on your back with your legs and stirrups has not been shown to reduce tearing. That is physiologically a very unhelpful way to give birth for many reasons. You don't get gravity on your side. Like think about laying on your back and trying to poop, right? Like that's, it's just mechanically it's hard to do. But then also we lose some of the ability of that pelvis to open up. So your sacrum actually needs to kind of swing back in a way to open up the bottom of the pelvis as the baby passes through. And if you're laying on your back, your tailbone can't swing anywhere. It's up against the bed with your body weight on top of it. And so those are the kind of things where like, oh, the baby's getting stuck, push harder oh, the baby's, you know, in distress, like push harder, we really got to go. And so you push with all your might and tear. Okay. I don't know if there's any research out there about directed pushing versus kind of instinctual pushing and how that mm-hmm. affects tearing. My feelings, my opinion on that is that instinctual pushing probably has a lower rate of tears Than directed pushing or purple pushing where it's just like okay hold your breath and bear down for 10, 9, 8 you know and then you're like I don't feel like I have to push and it doesn't matter push anyway like Mm -hmm. so again it's working against your body's natural instinct to push so maybe that's your body saying like hey wait a second we need to stretch out a little more the baby will hang out here for a little bit we're gonna like you know, let the pressure build, let the muscles stretch, and then the baby can pass through. But if we're getting these override messages of push now, because it's been so many seconds or so many minutes and it's time, it doesn't sound like a great scenario to me, but I don't know what the research says about that, if anything.
0: No, yeah, you agree 100%. It just makes sense to right. follow. And of course, you know, if you have like an epidural or other P meds, that might be a little harder And you might need directed pushing, and that's fine. And I also want to clarify for our listeners that we, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way, Annie. Like, yes, there's a lot of things wrong with our medical system, but we are still grateful to live in a place where we have access to C-sections and epidurals and and episiotomies. It's just the way that they're done that kind of bothers us. I think
2: you would agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you need medical intervention in a birth, I am 100% grateful for all the care that is provided. But what I question is, do all of the births that have become medical births need to be medical births? You know, I think birth is a natural process. Does it need medical support? Right. And that's where I think we're all kind of starting. Well, a lot of folks are starting to scratch their head and, you know, because there's opinions, but then there's numbers too. Like the World Health Organization says that it's an acceptable C-section rate or like, you know, because yeah, not all births can be about vaginal births because of a variety of factors, right? Mm-hmm. So they say about like 10 to 15% of births Our C-sections. Like that's normal, right? The U.S. has 33% C-section rate. So like we're not even close to what the World Health Organization has deemed as like a normal or reasonable C-section rate. Why? Why is that happening? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm asking those questions. I have my opinions, but I'd love to see our bigger systems and schools and culture around birth change. Because that number does not have to be that high. It's not that high anywhere else in the world. Right. And I completely agree. And there are some
0: people who argue, well, it's that high because Americans are getting sicker and more unhealthy. But again, that's part of the system, too. Like, why are we getting sicker? Why are we getting more? It all goes back to the system, how we are taught to take care of ourselves in this country or
2: not taught, you know, (laughs) (laughs) as the case may be.
0: Yeah. So if you are a parent that does end up tearing, Do you have any tips for like healing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's the Perry bottle that was that freedom mom commercial that was banned from the Super Bowl last year about a postpartum mom limping to the bathroom and it stings to pee and all that stuff. And that was unacceptable in our culture. Real life. (laughs) Can't show real life. Just have to show the bounce back. Beyonce looks fabulous. So yeah. many weeks out for her baby. Like, way to go, Beyonce. I mean, way to go, Beyonce. Like, good for you. I'm really you happy. not queen bee. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I am in no way. But also, I am not queen bee. You are not queen bee. We do not have the same, you know, <laughs> resources no. and what have you. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the Perry bottle is a little like spritz bottle that you can fill with just you know water. Some people like to put little herbs in it to help healing. It. And, you know, and that's instead of wiping, you would just kind of rinse and pat dry. There's things like for healing, like witch hazel pads are helpful. Like the tux pads are helpful with hemorrhoids. So there's, there's little, you know, blends. I have a, a witch hazel cooling pad quote recipe where you just take maxi pads and you spray them down with some witch hazel and lavender oil, lavender essential oil. Fold them up, toss them in the freezer. And then the next time you need a pad, you have this nice cooling, soothing pad to help with. And that's for tears or not. That's just to help with the postpartum, you know, yeah. pelvic area.
0: That's nice for um, swelling,
2: too. For swelling, too. Exactly. Vaginal steaming actually has shown some promising things. This is another new to us, but ancient practice where you sit or kneel over a little steamy pot of herbs. And you're not like blasting steam up your vagina or anything like that. It feels like, I don't know, a warm mist hitting your perineum. That actually has been shown to help with postpartum healing in a lot of different ways. There's been one study in our country, many studies in other countries, OBGYNs in the Western medical world are up in arms against this practice, but it's something I do personally. And I really have seen good results with that. And I don't wonder too, if some of it is just you're caring for yourself you're Mm -hmm. loving your pelvis but that is something that has helped um i think the the study that they did they had two groups some people didn't seem at all some people seemed day four through eight or something like that um and then they followed them up at their six-week checkup and they showed that there was less constipation there was faster healing of stitches less pain with stitches and a whole slew of other things, other improvements for the folks that had steamed versus the folks who had not seamed. So that's another nice healing practice. And then once the, so if you did tear and you're out of that acute healing phase, like your stitches are all healed up, the skin is back to call it watertight. Like you couldn't pick a scab off of it or anything. It's totally healed. That's when you can start looking at like scar massage and stretching. And that should be something that's that's directed by a a pelvic PT, not because you would harm yourself, but because that's a whole thing, right? And if you're Mm -hmm. dealing with scar tissue, you're probably having pain with sex. You might be having difficulty pooping or peeing. And those are all things that again, you don't need to tackle alone, but scar massage, desensitization, are some techniques that you can use to help the perineal scar heal as well. And then not getting constipated. That is like a hugely helpful thing for your pelvic floor. And postpartum, unfortunately, sets us up for constipation, whether you had a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth, because C-section, you're on pain meds likely, and pain Mm -hmm. meds can make you constipated. No matter what, if you're producing milk you can get dehydrated more easily because Mm -hmm. you are putting out so much fluid. And so if you're not up on your fluid intake, you can get dehydrated. Dehydration causes constipation. Constipation is like struggling to birth a whole nother baby, right? You're bearing Mm -hmm. down, you're pushing and your pelvic floor suffers from it, especially in those early, that fourth trimester, those first three months postpartum. So,
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that first bowel movement after birth can be scary. And I always tell the families I'm working with, like even take the stool softener they offer you. Even if you don't think you need it, take it anyway.
2: (laughs) Yes. And stool softeners are great in that short term, one to two weeks, but that is not a long-term solution. Even though many Americans postpartum or not are on long-term stool softeners. Again, there's our quote health care system, but take the stool softeners and, but then, and stay hydrated, eat nourishing foods, and. See a pelvic PT if you're constipated at all, because it's the devil for so many reasons. One, it's no fun, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but two, it just, it doesn't help your pelvic floor. Squatty potty is another one that I recommend to lots of folks. Those are super helpful little toilet stools that really help make pooping a lot easier. So yeah, those would be the big tips for healing and don't rush back to sex. I mean, you don't need to agitate something that's trying to, Mm -hmm. trying to heal.
0: No. So you're gonna to be too tired anyway. Let's be honest. I know, like you're just you're tired, and a lot of parents are so touched out by the end of the day from having like the baby clinging to them all day. So I think that yeah, that it's normal if you are not ready to be intimate really soon after birth.
2: Yeah, but it's so funny that that's such a big marker of what our postpartum checkup oh, you're safe. to ha- You're okay to have sex now. Yeah. Let's or get you on birth, birth control. Get you on birth control so that you won't have sex and have a baby. And people are like, I'm not, ha- who's having sex here? Right. But then you feel like pressured or guilty mm-hmm. or you have to go home to your partner and be like, I can have sex. I don't want to have sex, but I can just right. because you can, doesn't mean you should. Right. Right. And there are some parents who are ready, and that's fine too. Yeah. But as long,
0: I think it's just listening to your body is so mm-hmm. important. Like six weeks is not some magical time frame, like you said, where it's like, okay, you woke up on the six week mark and everything's perfectly fine, and you're back to your pre-pregnancy body. That's it's really never going to happen in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's not. It's just this weird arbitrary number.
2: Yeah. Well, they're looking at womb healing. So Mm -hmm. where your placenta detached from your uterus has that healed. That's a really important thing, right? Right. Because that that runs a risk of infection. If you had sex or any other things penetrating your vagina prior to that healing, you run the risk of infection. And that's really bad. So yeah, there's definitely some valid things that they are checking, but it is one thing or two. It is not all the things. It is not your hormone levels are balanced. Your energy Mm -hmm. is back normal. You know, your body is back to its pre-pregnancy size. It is not any, you're clear to exercise, but that doesn't mean you start running the next day. Right? People do and they almost always regret it. So it just, we really need to treat the six week visit for what it is. It is your first contact after a big musculoskeletal full body system change. Step one, hooray, you cleared. Now let's look at I think we need to really lay out a better postpartum timeline for folks, mm-hmm. even though no one wants to hear it. I say a year and everyone's like, oh, oh God, mm-hmm. I'm going to be like this for a year. No, you're not going to be like this for a year, but you're also not going to be like you were before you got pregnant for a year. So.
0: Right. And again, it all goes back to like, our culture doesn't make room for that. Like I work with room some room parents. to slow who down? Have, no way. Right. And I work with some parents who have to be back at work in two weeks, two weeks. I've met parents. Ellen, can you imagine having a C-section? That's major abdominal surgery and you're expected to be back at work in two weeks.
2: Like it's insane. Numbers on that too. America, 46% of postpartum people are back to work by six weeks, 20 something by two weeks, Mm -hmm. and then the rest by six weeks. So almost half of people that are giving birth are back to work by six weeks with swollen boobs and sore perineums and no sleep and hormone soup raging. And all of these things, like we're just not treating mothers well. And we wonder, we wonder why everybody that you know has urinary incontinence. We wonder why sex has become painful for so many folks and they just grin and bear it. You know, like we, we wonder. But then we say, we don't even give you not even six weeks of rest, you know, after having a baby. And it's just so clear to me and it is so maddening that it's. Mm-hmm. Not changing, right?
0: And some studies or show that right. And some studies show that our postpartum mood disorder rate is forty six percent. Gee, I wonder why.
2: Right. <laughs> I know we've just outlined all the ways that your body changes, all the ways that you're unsupported, all the ways that social media can negatively influence your body anyway. Let alone postpartum. And then we go, oh my gosh, there's an epidemic of postpartum depression and anxiety. What are we gonna do? Well, here's like 15 great starting points, people. Let's right. start here. Yeah. Let's start supporting the mothers, getting them a team, team mom, build team mom, make it normal for everybody to accept help from an entire team. Yeah, and I think we would see a lot of things smooth out downstream.
0: One hundred percent. Well, this was such an awesome conversation. I think parents learned a lot, and I really hope it helps some allay some fears. Around tearing and pelvic floor health, and everything that you said, 100% so important. If parents want to connect with you, where can they find you?
2: You can find me on Instagram, Facebook. I have a website, and it's all the same Full Bloom Wellness 603. You can email me, Full Bloom Wellness 603 at gmail. Reach out. And you know, because I'm such a proponent of education. Like if you're listening to this podcast and you have a question, email me. I don't care where you live. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you think it's the dumbest question in the world. Email me and I will answer it or help you find resources to get it answered and take it care of wherever you are. It's just too important. Your health is too important for you to go wandering and struggling any longer than you have. So reach out. It's all Fulman Wellness 603 website, email, Facebook, Instagram reach out anytime if you have questions and I can help you find answers and find the resources that you need to heal. Perfect.
0: And I will put all of those links in the show notes so people can connect with you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Annie. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me tonight.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Shelly. This was really fun. (laughs) Have a good night. Thank you for joining us this
0: week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.